Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 2020 virtual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind. This particular program is the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America. Welcome, everybody. Um, my name is Karen Blackwood. I am one of the board members for RSVA, and it is my pleasure to introduce the president of Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, Mr. Dan Sippel. Hello, uh, Dan Sipple here. I'm from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, president of Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. And thank you, Karen, for stepping in. Scott Egan is our um, convention committee chair. His father uh, was taken in a farm accident uh, this past week, and uh, he's pretty well exhausted. Um, so they, you know, still recovering from the funeral and taking care of his mother. But I'd like to welcome all of you uh, to this excellent uh, but busy day uh, of programming. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And, and it is uh, with extreme pride and pleasure that I'd like to introduce you to our uh, keynote speaker, Mark Reichert. Um, first uh, Vice President of ACB. He has uh, much, much experience um, with 501c3s, and he's going to uh, tell us how to build business and personal relationships in, during these uh, challenging and changing times. Uh, with that, though, first we'll have Randy will give us uh, the CEO code, then we'll have Mark Reichert. Yes, I will. All right, so uh, this is the opening uh, continuing education code, uh, and this is for if you are a professional in the field, um, and uh, if you are, um, you're, you're probably aware of these. If you are um, just attending the convention, you do not need to worry about this. Your opening code is... D nine five five four. One more time. D is in Delta. Nine five five four. Four. Thank you and enjoy your presentation. Thank you, Randy. And we'll open it up, uh, and Mark, uh, and I'm sure we'll be well entertained and well informed. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dan, and thanks everyone for having me. It's, it's great, and hello to all of our friends and family and cohorts and God knows what other labels would be appropriate on ACB Radio. That's awesome. That um, I've always kind of been a big fan of ACB Radio, but who knew that uh, it was uh, going to come in so handy to have that platform in place for us to achieve this virtual convention? this year. Um, yours truly, uh, in addition to the kind introduction that Dan gave, uh, I, I also serve currently as the interim executive director of AER. And hopefully everybody knows what that is, but in case you don't, uh, fasten your seatbelt. Uh, the name of the organization is the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired, also known as AERBVI or just AER for short, uh, and I am the interim executive director, which means that it, even as we speak, AER is in the process of initiating a uh, national search for a permanent chief staff officer for the organization. Uh, back in the day, uh, as Dan sort of uh, alluded to, uh, I, uh, this, is, this, is my, this is not my first rodeo uh, with AER. Um, I served as the executive director of AER from 2001 to 2005. Uh, and then uh, after that, the good folk at the American Foundation for the Blind um, seduced me with, you know, uh, a, a aggressive salary options like, you know, an extra box of ramen noodles and things like that. And then they said, if you come back to work for us at AFB, you can be the director of public policy. And, of course, public policy is... My first love, uh, professionally, um, I, I am a lawyer. Don't don't hold that against me. Uh, I do hold a license to practice law in the state of Florida. I've never practiced law in my life, though, um, and uh, I'll let others judge whether that's a good thing or not. But um, graduated from GW Law. Uh, oh gosh, uh, December of 1992, which is a long time ago, and then uh, and then after. Uh, graduating law school, I, I, uh, it, it was, it was a while before 
I managed to land my first job, which first real job, first paid job with, uh, which was with national industries for the blind, uh, or NIB. And, uh, I, I will, I will name drop just a few names during this presentation because I think some of these names would be near and dear to any number of folks hearts, uh, or they should be, um, Patricia Beattie, Pat Beattie, Pat, uh, was a, a, a long time leader in our, uh, membership organization in ACB as the treasurer of ACB for a number of years. Uh, I may be forgetting other national offices that she held, certainly served on the, AR, uh, the ACB board of directors for a good long while. She's a huge supporter of RSVA and, uh, a friend, I think, to all of us. And, uh, Pat was a tough boss. I, I will say that those of you who know, uh, her, she's no longer with us. She, she is, she is, she's attending the great virtual conference in the great beyond. Uh, but she, uh, she was a handful and Pat was definitely somebody who, um, you know, she, she knew what she, uh, wanted to do and made sure that you knew, uh, that she knew it. And, uh, when I started to work for her, of course, I was in my mid-20s, and those of you who know me really well know that I, I'm, I'm not necessarily a shrinking violet. So you can imagine that in my mid-20s, with my mouth and working for someone like Pat Beatty, who uh, was certainly no uh, person to hide or be shy about her feelings, um, we mostly got along, but uh, it was a, it was a, an educational experience. Um, and I think all joking aside and winking aside, a good one for me, because I think um, to have a boss right out of the, you know, for my first real job, who's blind herself, um, but who also wasn't going to, uh, you know, she was a take no prisoners kind of person, wasn't going to put up with any kind of cheek from some young whippersnapper staff person in me. Uh, you know, it was a good, a good, uh, a good place to cut my teeth on all kinds of policy issues. And, you know, National Industries for the Blind, of course, works in, in a, uh, with all of us on a lot of issues across uh, the blindness, sort of the spectrum of issues that we are concerned about. But, of course, NIB being the essentially trade association for industries programs across the country, you know, their, their focus is in um, a few, you know, pretty significant and in their own way, very complicated, but nevertheless niche, uh, areas of the public policy arena. And, uh, and so while I was doing that work for NIB, uh, at that time, um, you know, because of Pat Beatty's involvement in the American council of the blind, and frankly, my, some of my closest friends, uh, were part of ACB, uh, in those early days, um, I, you know, it's a volunteer organization. A lot of our stuff, and you know, we've got some amazing, amazing staff these days at ACB. But you know, uh, it, in ACB, it's kind of an all hands on deck kind of a proposition. And so, uh, in addition to doing the work that I did for National Industries for the Blind in the areas of that they were concerned about, um, I had the chance to essentially volunteer uh, in a number of uh, public policy contexts. So, one of the things that I got to work on in those mid 1990s days uh, had to do with uh, copyright and intellectual property and making sure that we could reproduce materials in a whole host of accessible formats without worrying about whether the copyright permissions had been secured and nailed down first before we could do that. So that was kind of a fun, uh, nerdy thing for me to get my uh, fingers into um, after coming out of GW Law and wanting to kind of be interested in that whole world of intellectual property. So fun stuff. I, I said that this was my first quote unquote real job. And, uh, you know, in speaking to a group like this, uh, of, of vendors and, you know, where we, we, uh, I, I realize we have a broader audience with ACB radio, but the focus here being on vendors and folks in this world, um, you know, we're talking to a group of folks who style themselves and rightly so as, as hardworking entrepreneurs. Um, and fundamentally, uh, you all are running, running businesses. And I will tell you that my, my, my first, uh, you know, every, so I, I guess what I meant to say by putting it that way is that any job where you're putting in a decent day's work for a decent wage and you're earning that money and you rolled up your sleeves and you're doing it, um, that's a real job. 
And I keep saying my first real job in the blindness field was with National Industries for the Blind. And I guess by that, I mean a real job that played directly to my skills, or at least the ones that I thought I had at that time. Again, I'll let other people judge whether I actually have, have the skills or not. But if I were being really fair and um, uh, transparent, I would my, my first real, real job was working as a telemarketer for an air conditioning and heating, an HVAC company. And so I, I'm not going to do it for you right now, but I, I could um, give you a, 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 an interpretive reading of the script that I think I still have memorized from whatever that is, 27 years ago, of uh, calling up little, those mostly little old ladies, it seemed like. And uh, I'm not going to tell you that we, we, we frightened them by telling them that if we didn't come out and clean their, the squirrel cage of their furnace that their house was going to burn down. We didn't quite do that. Uh, but it, it sometimes felt like that was <laughs> where, where, what we were doing. It sometimes felt like that. that it definitely had that telemarketer uh, you know, sort of feel to it. And, and uh, you can imagine in the early 1990s um, what technology we didn't have to make uh, yours truly going through the list of phone numbers and placing those calls. And, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty primitive. Um, but I, I just remember uh, from those days thinking, um, you know, here I was, I, 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 you know, I definitely thought, and some would say I still do think plenty highly of myself, but here I was, got, you know, this young kid coming out of law school, thought I knew everything. I knew less than nothing and couldn't find, couldn't find work. It took a while before I got that first job with, with national industries for the blind. And there I am thinking, you know, I, first of all, I'm going stir crazy, going to, uh, going to interviews and not getting anywhere. And the only time I leave my apartment is to go get told no by somebody. So, I mean, I got to do something besides, um, I, I like beer, uh, to, to, to quote Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and so I, you know, the, the, the question is how do you make sure that you have some, some pin money and you can, uh, while you're being supported by your folks, that's only going to last so long. So, so it was time to, time to get out there and, and take whatever kind of work I could get. And believe it or not, uh, that telemarketer job at the, at the HVAC company, that that's where I ended up. And, uh, there is nothing, like this is my it took a long time to get to this punchline but uh, there we have it uh, there is nothing like uh being able to hold one's head high knowing that even if you're making pennies um that you've made them that you showed up you did the work you contributed something that wasn't there before um and and i'll dare, dare, dare even dare say it's you know uh it, it's 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 good to be a taxpayer. I don't think any of us like to pay taxes, but I think it's that that sense of pride in being able to um, stand for stand up for yourself and and in its own way give back. So congratulations, and I know um, that RSVA. All, I think all of us have that commitment uh, and work ethic. And ACB ACB wouldn't be where it is today without a strong work ethic on the part of so many people. But RSVA is sort of the special interest affiliate incarnation of that of that um drive to excel and be entrepreneurial and be business focused so um i'll i'll give you one little quick little anecdote say a few more words then maybe i will stop and see if there if folks want to uh ask me 20 questions as they say so uh when i first attended an acb conference um, you know, I certainly have been familiar with ACB for years, but my first ACB conference was in Greensboro, North Carolina in 1995, I think that's right. And so I attended it uh, with, at that time, the young lady who was about to become my wife. She, 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 she's still alive. I, I, I didn't kill her. Uh, but we're we're no longer together. But she's a she's a lovely soul, and for all I know, could be listening on ACB Radio. Hey, Karen. Um, but um, she uh, 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 
was at that time a sign language interpreter. And so that's one of the ways we met. We met at a disability policy uh, briefing for the Social Security Administration at which she was providing interpreter services. So there's, there's just nothing like disability policy to, to you know, light the spark. Uh, so in, in any case, uh, Karen uh, attended the that ACB conference with me, that first ACB conference I ever attended. And I, I just remember going through the program with her. And, of course, you know, it, it's such an alphabet soup, right, that we have in, in, in ACB with all of, the, all of the, the, the names and such of our affiliates and blah, blah, blah. And in the whole blindness world, I mean, for some reason, organizations in the blindness system love to name their organizations with long names. I mean, AERBVI is a good example. There's a bunch of those like that. So, so we're going through the program, looking at all of these abbreviations, and of course we come across RSVA, RSVA, and so I mean I knew what it stood for, but before I could say anything, <laughs> Karen says to me, "Well, RSVA. So, so what does does that stand for? Residually Sighted Veterans of America? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, it's not. That's not what it stands for." But it's it's it was kind of it was it was cute and for I just remember that like it was yesterday that that when you look at these letters and you don't necessarily know what he had the residually cited veterans of America now that I've said that there's probably some group somewhere that has that name and will probably sue me for a trademark infringement or something anyway I uh, just thought you all like would be amused by that but I said um, that that uh, when I first got that first real job. Um, "Quote unquote," doing work with HVAC people. That you know, it was good to be able to be a taxpayer, and that's true. Um, but I, I remember like it was yesterday in those first few months working for National Industries for the Blind and going through uh, materials about how we were going to uh, urge the Congress to do something about the uh, uh, earnings limitations, you know, under under SSDI. So hardly a new issue that was happening in the mid-90s. Quite frankly, we'd been haggling over that for decades before then. Let's hope that we're not haggling over decades from now. So definitely one of those perennial issues. Uh, But I just remember really being struck as I was going through the materials, some of the copies of the testimony that had been submitted to uh, congressional committees and so forth, and, you know, some of these documents that were 10, 15, 20 years old, and uh, talking about how, uh, it, it, you know, wh- what it is we're trying to, to achieve here. And obviously, you know, there was a lot of rhetoric about achievement of independence uh, and getting folks off of the public dime, et cetera. Uh, it was put more politic than that, but essentially that was it. But I just remember really being struck by one line, which I can't quote verbatim, but essentially the thought was, you know, and don't we don't we want to get to a point where all Americans, including Americans with disabilities, can uh, achieve the American dream and be uh, contribute back to by by being taxpayers? And I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have taken it this way back then, but to me, my my sort of intuitive reaction to that, or emotional reaction to that, was. Do we really judge people on the basis of whether or not they pay taxes? Is that our is that our assessment in America? We 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 commodify everything such that unless you are a taxpayer, you're not worthy or you're not patriotic. Uh, you're not a full fledged citizen. You're not necessarily deserving of protections. You're not necessarily someone who we would consider an equal. I, I, I don't think any of us really think that, but I was just really struck by that tone. And I guess if I have a theme or a thing that's going to knit all of my little random comments here together, it would be this. And that is in trying to develop that, those kind of relationships with, you know, the business world or in uh, the nonprofit sector or what have you, um, finding a way to talk uh, that is that 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 
is both uplifting to everyone, but also is inclusive, I think is a very, very key thing for us to do. And especially these days where there's so much attention, um, I think mostly rightly so, but I think in some cases, sometimes it can be over amplified, but you know, f- focusing on some of the tensions that we have in our country, right? Going out of your way to find ways in which we can be inclusive in our communication style and affirming um, makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Now, I will say to you, my I, I've never worked for other than that HVAC <laughs> company for a few months. I've, I've never worked in the in the in the for profit world. I've always been one of those bleeding heart, uh, you know, nonprofit blindness or disability public policy people. Uh, and also serving as the chief staff officer for a nonprofit, namely AER, uh, over the years. So I certainly, you know, from that perspective, have a pretty good grasp, I'd like to think, on you know, treating an organization, even a nonprofit, as a business. But fundamentally, um, whatever work you're doing, whether it's a for-profit business or you are doing some kind of bleeding heart, do-gooder work, um, it's, it's all about trying to find a way to communicate uh, in a way that affirms your audience, brings people into the tent, and, uh, and, and, and is as inclusive as possible. We were talking about this the other day, even uh, those of us on the um, ACB board of directors. And let me just do an open parenthesis here and say, um, how grateful I continue to be for the the pat on the back, expression of support, vote of confidence, whatever you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use. Uh, when last summer the ACB membership uh, said that they would be willing to have me uh, warm the seat of the first vice president role, uh, it meant the world to me to have um, people I considered really dear friends and colleagues express that support. But. Uh, in any case, we were talking the other day, close paren, uh, uh, we were talking the other day about how, how do we make sure that ACB is as inclusive as possible? And it's not just about, you know, uh, using the right vocabulary, as critical as that is, or talking to, about and to people in ways that they prefer uh, we interact with them. It's, it's, it's not, it, it, let's hope it's more than just a mere, um, uh, you know, uh, a pile of rhetoric and that it really is more of the cliche comment, right? Actions speak louder than words. So how do we, how do we go about creating that sort of inclusive and affirming, uh, affirming um, environment, but that actually means something. Um, and one of the things I had suggested to them and uh, I, I, I'm repeating it here, not because I think it is the best way to do it. It just happens to be my little view of the world. But there's lots of other ways we could do this. Finding finding ways in which we uh, can can work on the public policy issues that are themselves inclusive and promoting of uh, uh, you know a progressive. I don't mean politically progressive, but forward thinking agenda. Uh, that includes people. So one of the, the things we've talked about for years in both the special education and the vocation of rehabilitation context is the fact that, you know, we don't have nearly enough professionals working in the blindness system. That's always been the case. It's true for across the board with folks with disabilities generally, but it seems that this personnel shortage is always particularly acute in our little neck of the woods. So how do we, how do we go about fixing that well, there's of course some again cliche things that we've always talked about doing. You know, increase appropriations, federal spending on long-term training in the voc rehab space, or on so-called personnel preparation in the special education space. But you know, any, any fool can ask for more money, right? The, the real question becomes: How do we go about? Um, Proposing a solution like that, that that results in the preparation of professionals, teachers and voc rehab expert folk who actually look like and talk like and sound like and think like and grew up in culturally uh, environments in which the people who we are expecting to serve 
themselves uh, uh, grew up in and, and, and experienced. I mean, there is such a tremendous uh, disconnect between the who we have on the bench or whatever. Uh, uh, I always get in trouble when I start using sports metaphors because I'm too much of a nerd. So, but you know, the people we've got there uh, in the lineup. And who do they look like? And what is their background? And unfortunately, or whatever, just it's a fact of life. They all, they all look and sound like me. Uh, 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 what? But and yet, the population of people that we are serving, of course, is increasingly um, diverse, uh, increasingly looking and sounding, and coming from backgrounds that are a whole heck of a lot different than than my sort of pasty uh, white Northern European Lutheran background so how do how do we how do we go about doing that well maybe one way would be to say let's focus on uh directing increases in in personnel preparation for example or long-term training dollars now, you know, don't just ask for more money but think about how we can reach out and partner with groups like uh the institutions that are within the umbrella of the so-called uh, historically black colleges and universities that's one one just 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 one example um, and we say to them, look, we're going to try to find a way to target funds to that set of institutions uh, for the sole purpose of, you know, first, second and third priority is, to, of course, to get more people uh, into our system. But then to say to them, right. And by the way, because of who these institutions represent, who they serve, what their historical context is, they're going to be producing people who, fr- quite frankly, look and sound and have cultural backgrounds much more in tune with the way that uh, the population that we're actually dealing with. Um, I, I am, I am no expert on the vending program. Um, and I think a lot of you know that <laughs> there are plenty of people on the ACB staff and other places who, who, who will forget more about the vending program than I'll ever know. But I will tell you that it seems to me we could stand a healthy dose of diversification uh, in, in, in the, the, the Randall Shepherd program, uh, for sure, and and find a way to make sure that opportunities are provided for uh, folk who have true entrepreneurial talent and spirit, um, and and that indeed uh, the population that this program serves long term um, uh, reflects more of that diversity. For all I know, there are people on this call who could lecture me on all the amazing things that are already in the pipeline in that score. So good good for that. But I will wrap this up by saying, you know, if I were trying to find a way to say, talk about uh, relationships, talk about communication um, and uh, how things have sort of evolved with the business world or with the nonprofit advocacy world from where I sit, it, it isn't just a diversity of viewpoint or a diversity of uh, ethnic or, you know, whatever background that we need to work on. Um, we, we need, we need a, we need a, a, an inclusive and affirming, but nevertheless, uh, diversity of thought. And, uh, and in our, in the blindness, in the blindness system, uh, sometimes a diversity of thought is, uh, the last thing that is celebrated and encouraged, um, I, uh, I've never been one to to shrink from a potential uh, arm wrestling match. So there are undoubtedly will be people who will say, I can't believe Mark just said this, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I, it, you know, we, we've spent so much time over the course of time thinking about how we can preserve our programs. And, and, and in a lot of cases, rightly so, because they have been under attack in so many ways. So we've talked a lot uh, over the years about good grief, don't touch a hair on the head of this program, don't touch uh, where the program is residing, particularly at the federal level at the U.S. Department of Education. And yet, uh, sometimes, you know, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, it's kind of like investing in the stock market, right? It's, it's you, what is your, what is your risk threshold? What is it that you're willing to uh, how many? How much? How many dollars you're willing to pony up, and and how conservative or how aggressive do you want your investment to be? Uh, if your investment is exceedingly conservative, um, you're going to have this likely the same amount of money you had when you started, maybe a little more, but you're not going to see a lot of growth. 
if you're particularly aggressive and really willing to kind of get out there and, 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 and be a mover and shaker, um, you, yeah, you could, you could potentially lose it all. Uh, but long term, the long game, you're likely not to lose it all. You're likely to gain and gain significantly if you are indeed playing the long game and are not just looking at what's around the corner. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm, I'm saying that I think in the way that we uh, need to think not only in this field, but I think just sort of generally speaking in, in, in tackling some of the you know key issues in front of us, we need to be thinking about not simply responding with a knee-jerk reaction that, oh my gosh, uh, if, 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 the, if this program or that program were ever to migrate out of their current status, then we're, we're doomed. Uh, because sometimes that rhetoric can be really overblown. Now, I'll step away from my own personal safety here before you all hang up on me. Uh, so I'll step away from the Randolph Shepard program and, and say, let me give you one example, and then I really will stop. And that is, and that is, we um, have a program right now that's only about thirty-three million dollars a year. Am I right about that, or is it more like thirty-eight? In any case, it's in the mid thirties, uh, thirty million dollars a year. It's woefully uh, inadequate, regardless of what it is. And, and that's the amount of money that we're spending on services to older folks who are blind or visually impaired, uh, who, who need independent living services. So, you know, the so-called Chapter Two program, or the Older Blind program. So, okay. So this program is being served, uh, is being managed out of the United States Department of Education, and it's this loan program uh, that is in, you know, generally speaking, in the under the VOC rehab umbrella at the Department of Education. But it is a, it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a program designed for people for whom an employment outcome isn't. Uh, you know what they're what they're driving after. In fact, it's 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 meant for those folks for whom an employment outcome may not be appropriate, and and uh, and 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 who require independent living services as they get older. So, what from a common sense point of view makes the you know why we would say, gee, let's make sure that we, whatever we do, we don't move that program out of the Department of Education. Well, why do people have that attitude? Well, the yeah, that's because it's always been there. Uh, people are afraid of what in the heck could possibly happen if we move it someplace else. There are legitimate concerns about, my goodness, uh, right now things are kind of, you know, the bureaucracy has kind of, it's, 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 you know, there's an atrophy there or whatever. It's better that we have the atrophy there than have someone, you know, uh, tear it apart in a, in some other context. But, um, some people would say, yeah, well, where else would you move it, Mark? You want to, you want to take it out of the department of education and put it where? the Department of Health and Human Services and have it gobbled up by the cross-disability independent living uh, world? And to which I'd say, well, no, no, I, I, I don't want the older blind program gobbled up by, by anyone. But I will tell you that the fact that we have left the older blind program where it is and that we have uh, and, and, and not challenge sort of the structure of the program, thinking about how it could fit, where else might it fit, and really do some sort of serious thinking about what an alternative approach would be, uh, that, that failure to actually sort of roll up the sleeves and do the kind of hard work and be willing maybe to make those aggressive investments that are risky um, has meant that the program has not grown at all. And it's just sat there and uh, is woefully uh, underserving the population uh, that exists. I will leave it to the true experts on this call to assess whether that is an appropriate analogy or analog or whatever to the, the, the Randolph Shepard program and the extent to which we would want to think about how we can um, uh, add, add new life Add additional life, whatever. Uh, light a fire under all those that need a fire's lit under them uh, to to really make um, the program into what I think a lot of us know that it can be and may not necessarily be today. Like I said, uh, I've never been one to not be willing to step up and get shot at, and that's fine. But my closing comment to you is, I think. It's that kind of diversity of thought, even if I'm 
full of it, uh, quite frankly, that we need to cultivate. And it's not just a be, be inclusive and diverse with who it is we welcome at the table, uh, but it's also going out of our way to say, no matter who you are, uh, that we're welcoming, even if it's just for the sake of argument so that we can know with even greater conviction than we already have that what we're doing is the right approach, to actively you know, encourage that diversity of thought and to, and to invite and celebrate those differences and even be willing to hear the wild and crazy ideas. I think the businesses and I think the nonprofits, certainly the organizations in the blindness world with whom I've had the privilege of working for a quarter century, when they have succeeded, uh, you know, most effectively has, has been when uh, those organizations didn't just uh, parrot uh, the orthodox position, but thought through alternative approaches to doing what needed to get done and were willing to to risk and willing to ruffle some feathers and, and, but, but it's a, it's an art, not a science, isn't it? It, it, You don't ruffle feathers for its own sake. When you bring up those diverse points of view and celebrate even the, you know, the ideas that are truly cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you want to make sure that, that at the same time, uh, you're honoring the people who bring up the cuckoo ideas and celebrate them for who they are in their backgrounds and maybe that's enough sermonizing for an afternoon. But with that, um, Dan and others, I, I thank you so much for uh, letting me come on. And, uh, you know, if this were, a, 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 you know, an in-person luncheon, maybe somebody would have thrown one of their knives at me by now or, or tossed some uh, tomato fragments my way. That's fine. Um, so I'm grateful that we're not doing it in person uh, for those for those reasons. But in all seriousness, uh, it is it's an honor to speak for this group, and I, I certainly appreciate the invitation. And uh, hopefully, some things that I've had to say either resonated with you or got your blood pressure up or whatever. Because otherwise, I wouldn't be doing my job if I weren't uh, making the most of an invitation like this to do that. So with that back over to you all and if there's time for questions I'll take them but thank you so so much well thank, thank you Mark that is very very enlightening and you know, just to hitchhike on a couple of your comments you mentioned that yeah. you know uh, being a taxpayer you know yeah that is one of society's benchmarks one of society's uh, yeah. guidelines in judging people and, and rightfully so we, we ourselves as Randall Shepard vendors yeah. that is one of our benchmarks yeah. however yeah. Our ultimate goal, deep down, and we all have to admit to that, is we want independence. We're seeking independence, financial independence as well as physical independence. And that is one of the primary, only one of the primary reasons yeah. why we yeah. like to partner with ACB, because they are the king when it comes to uh, yeah. promoting and advocating for independence so that we can live as independent um, physically and financially as possible. Yep. Um, being that Randall yep. Shepard is a very, probably the most unique program in the entire world. I think so. You know, we are very proud of that, and we yep. will sustain that to the best of our ability. Yep. And with respect to diversity, yep. um, I don't think that's ever been an issue in our program. Mm-hmm. Um, most can't tell colors anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we're all human beings. Yeah. Amen. No, no, uh, and, you know, we've never, and personally, if, if any of us who are on this call, I think, would uh, yeah. definitely say that if someone would object to any diversity, I think they would better open their mouth and for a size 15 shoe come <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. so, but uh, thank, again thank you Mark and if we have any questions uh, that be we can certainly entertain them yes? I have a question uh, this is artist I my question is Mark how would you see us handling the rehabilitation specialists as far as getting them to push the Randolph Shepard program forward. I know uh, one thing, we have a lot less women in the program than men. Yeah. That's one of the diversities we need to work on. But also, 
a lot of the rehab specialists like to push people into technology careers, uh, going to college. And obviously, you can go to college and then be a Randolph Shepherd vendor, too. But they don't seem to look at the Randolph Shepherd program unless that person specifically asks to be looking at that program. Yeah. And I don't know, yeah. do you have an idea on how we could change that? I know we've gone to AER conferences before to kind of try to reach some of the uh, people that are training, but uh, most of them have never heard of this. I think you're right. Most most people either have not heard of it. Uh, that's probably the biggest problem. But I would also say that the second biggest problem, or maybe tied for first, is that we've all heard about it, and we think we know everything there is to know about it, and there it is again. And yeah, that's that old, that's that same old program, and and there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, I think I think we do have in the blindness just world generally um, a, a tendency to sort of say. We've seen it all before, and and maybe maybe that comes from the fact that we don't have a lot of, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, I don't want to say new blood. What's a better word? You know, new folk, new newish, new, newly prepared folks coming into the field. There's not a ton of turnover in that sense, where you have the next sort of generation, if you will, of of voc rehab uh, professional folk or whomever that there's not, there doesn't, you know, there's kind of a stagnation there in terms of who folks are, the, you know, their, their name, rank and serial number doesn't seem to change over very much. And, and so um, I, I think there's a lot of folks who say, I don't really fully understand what this vending program is all about, except the extent to which I think I understand it is the extent to which it's been that way since Adam was a boy. And, and so maybe, you know, where, where's the, where's the thrill? Uh, where's the excitement? Where's the new, where's the buzz? And, uh, you know, with technology, I mean, how can you not, right? I mean, this stuff changes all the time and you know, there are technology companies that promote the heck out of their stuff and everybody wants the latest whiz bang thing. So, you know, what do I know? I mean, I, I, you, you all are the experts on how to promote and best market this program. And I know with absolute certainty, because I remember reading lots of resolutions about this when I was the resolutions chair, uh, about the need for, um, you know, aggressive marketing, et cetera, of the, 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 the program, uh, in ways that maybe, uh, you know, folks haven't explored as aggressively in the past. So I'll, I'll, I'll not babble on about what that marketing would look like because I'm certain you all have some ideas about that. I would just say just from sort of the observation or in tying back to my keynote remarks, I, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about, about this, you know, encouraging different thinking about stuff, even if that thinking ends up just annoying the hell out of us, because it would be better to have controversy uh, than to have apathy. And and so I think anything that we can do to sort of communicate, look, uh, this is not your great-great-grandfather's BEP program, or if it is in a certain state, then maybe we ought to juice that sucker up. Uh, and and start and start uh, doing some different things. I think the extent we, to which we can do that makes a lot of sense to me. Any other questions? Thoughts? Knives yeah, to throw, got, tomatoes to flip. If uh, okay. if you're willing to take them. Uh, yeah, first sure. First thing yeah. is uh, is Gene okay. and uh, Gene, you are not able to talk. We've taken and, off the muzzle. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. You have to uh, you have to unmute yourself, Gene. Which is uh, if you're on a computer, is Alt A is a star six. If you dialed in, or you have to find the button on your um, your touch screen device, which is always fun. Yeah. That's a challenge in itself. <laughs> um, okay, you know I we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next one. Okay. And uh, I don't even know how to. Tam. Tam Hamina? Hi. There she is. Hello. Um, hey. uh, I, I'm sorry. I'm just having a lot of, uh, lot of issue with my Zoom today. Um, my question um, was um, so, 
We need to stretch that fishing line a little bit tighter, I think. We'll go to the next one. Next one is um, Melody Bretson, and you are now able to... I know that name. I think we all do. Hello, I think I'm unmuted. You yes, are. you are. Um, Good to hear your voice. Great. You are, Mark, really, hello, everybody. Um, yes. I really appreciated your comments, Mark, and I would like to ask you if you have any thoughts about how ACB can, um, in a practical way, encourage people to think outside the box with regard to some of those public policy issues that you that you raise I mean do you have any do you have any practical suggestions both on an organizational level and maybe you know even within affiliates if, if people have some of those kind of outside the box thoughts how we can encourage them to um, you know to express them and help them to implement them. I, uh, I love the question so so I don't know that I have any answers, and certainly not all of them. But but here are some here are some some thoughts that I think would be fun. Um, knowing as you all do that that I like public policy stuff, and I like sitting around thinking about things, and probably too much of that. Uh, but but uh, you know sometimes it makes a lot of sense um, to go out of your way to have programming where you literally set up a a, a friendly debate. I mean, literally identify, you know, uh, a, 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 an affirmative and a negative speaker, maybe two or whatever. And you set up a time where you say, we're going to not have just, you know, it's not just for laughs at all. It's, it's, we're going to specifically invite a discussion on X, whatever that topic is. You know, the, in the case of RSBA, the future of the program, or, you, you know, is, is, do we want, is the program fine where it's living? Do we need, whatever, you all will know what issues to debate. And, and go out of your way to not try to um, assume that there's a, a, a that, that the majority view, even if the majority view is God's view, it doesn't mean that there isn't an opportunity for hearing the minority view. And that in the process of having that discussion where you literally invite that and do it in a, in a friendly, open, let's hear what folks have to say kind of way. I, I don't believe, I mean, life is too short. We don't need to gin up controversies where they don't exist. But I think that might be one way where we specifically go out of our way to say this is not only a safe environment, if, if you don't bring up alternative points of view, you're letting us down. And and so let's haggle through and really arm wrestle about uh, some of those ideas. So maybe that kind of a thing is uh, a practical way. But probably another one, and this is, you know, again, a little more philosophical, but not quite as you know, uh, let's, let's, let's hold a, let's hold a debate. But I think it's, it's attitudinal. It's how we all choose to talk about someone who has a different idea. Um, so often we have, and, and I honestly, I think this is improving because, but I, because I have memories of, you know, 10, 20 years ago or more where it definitely was bad news. And that if you came along and said, uh, gee, I think that, um, you know, with all this debate about the voc rehab program remaining at the Department of Education and gee whiz, can't, can't we even talk about what moving it to the Department of Labor might look like? Uh, that if you even started down that road to raise that question, you weren't just told to shut up, but you were seen as an enemy. You were seen as an infiltrator who was trying to undermine the field and was a traitor to the cause and 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 might even have ulterior motives and that we can't even trust you um i think that was nutty back then maybe there were some people who were like that but that's there's so few of them so i think it's really about finding a way to you know come together around let's talk about we all know that we're going to trust that we all have good faith motivations for what it is we need to do get those folk together to talk about different ideas. And at some point, the majority votes. And certainly in ACB, we, we do our resolutions or we do whatever. And hey, whatever, it's what the majority wants to do. Then that's we move forward. But when that majority speaks, we don't need to take that as though 
the people who have a different point of view that we, you know, they're 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 worthy of being burnt at the stake, uh, or that that's how it should be forever and always. So if there are ways in which we can create that kind of environment, I think that makes a lot of sense. Oh, we have still have a hand. We have a hand. Okay, uh, Tammy is back, and um, okay. Am I on? Yes, you are. What I was wondering, have the ACB have done anything to draw um, to a task force, possibly, where people come together with different ideas and thoughts how to improve um, existing issues and how to maybe add up to that? Uh, The short answer is yes. The other day, uh, Dan Spoon made the point of raising on our board agenda that, again, not just that we should be uh, offering statements of inclusion and support and solidarity, um, but that we ought to, you know, how might we go about going to take that next step in operationalizing is a better word, but, uh, uh, you know, really carrying that out or seeing that be reflected in the work that we do. And I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth, but I think, um, I think, you know, the intent was to say uh, we most recently did a statement in support of um, uh, the fact that frankly, black lives matter and that, um, some of the behavior we've seen on our streets is, is something that we can't we can't abide. Remembering that folks, and this has always been my uh, one of my uh, points, that folks with disabilities are a disproportionate number of folks, both in the criminal justice system or at, if I can put it this way, at risk of getting into it. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, that are uh, that we don't need to talk about now. <laughs> uh, but in any case, uh, so, but but I would say to you, I, I think I think you know beyond doing statements of solidarity, I think there's a genuine interest in finding a way to think more broadly about these kinds of approaches. Okay, so let's just not talk about being inclusive and standing in solidarity, but how can we move? the agenda forward. I'll wrap up my answer to your question by saying, you know, I, I, hey, over the years, the kind of public policy work that I've done, I, I'm, I'm certainly proud of it. Uh, but there are a lot of things that I spent a lot of time on that could be kind of, you know, boutique issues. I mean, I think intellectual property and copyright stuff, it's critical. Uh, we, our field needed that work. And it benefits everybody, regardless of who they are and what they look like or what language they speak, and et cetera, et cetera. However, um, maybe there is a way to think through um, the kind of work that we do, whether it's advocacy or anything else, in a way that goes out of our way to say, um, let's think about styling or framing the issues that we want to move forward in a way that is more inclusive. And I'll go back to that example I used about Let's just not keep talking about the personnel shortages in our field, but think about how we can actively, I mean, there's a profound need among in, in, in communities of color for uh, employment opportunities. There is, a, there is a significant apparatus in place, like these historically black colleges and universities, and there are tons of other things that I'm not even thinking of right now, well beyond that in the Hispanic Latino uh, community and the LGBTQ, et cetera, uh, you know, community et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that we should be thinking about how we can reach out and say it isn't just about producing more people, but how can we leverage those needs and or marry them uh, with our own and really aggressively do that and build partnerships. I think that makes the, that there's a lot of future in that. Okay. Next up uh, is Regina. Hello. How are you, Hey. Hey. Good. I didn't want to sound like everyone else and say, can you hear me? But <laughs> um, I am just saying along those lines that I'm pretty new to ACB and I was kind of thrown into the water. Um, you know how you do that when you toss someone in when they're swimming? Well, yeah. that happened to me as far as leadership of my organization. I stepped in to fill a need way before I was 
actually thinking about it. But uh, so I don't know. But I think that uh, as an organization, ACB forms partnerships. And if I'm right about that, have there been any discussions about partnerships with an advocacy organization such as the NAACP? I just comes off the top of my head, or uh, say a, a Black Business uh, Association or the Hispanic Business Association. I used to play for those people, so I know they exist. Uh, yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Question. I, I think the, the the short answer is that I will, um, and I, I expect some combination of these human beings are listening. Uh, but uh, I would I would leave to the ACB staff to give you a fully competent answer uh, to that because I'm certain that there are uh, you know coalition activities and other you know direct partnerships that I will forget to mention now. I will just flag for all of us, and I think this is something that we can really be proud of. Um, I never got to meet personally, Derwood McDaniel. And that's a name that hopefully a lot of you know, certainly all of us should know, uh, is, you know, if we have a, if we have a founding father, uh, if we have a George Washington, he's it, uh, and, uh, here in ACB. And, uh, he's not the only one, but certainly he's the first among equals in terms of names you'd want to drop if you wanted to say, you know, how did ACB ever come about? And, Durwood was, uh, again, I never got to meet him. Apparently, he was quite the character, uh, liked his, his, I think it was bourbon, um, which I think is a credential right there. I mean, it, and if you if you like bourbon, I, I mean, you've got to be a pretty decent fellow. But one of the things that he always made the point of doing is making sure that ACB, even in those early days uh, in the 70s and otherwise, was actively a part of the Leadership Conference of Civil and Human Rights I think it was just called LCCR back in those days. But we, we were, I think, uh, ACB. I don't think we were a quote-unquote founding member of that organization, but certainly on the – if we weren't, we're pretty close to it. Um, and in Derwood's case, his whole thing was about, you know, we're not just in our own little sort of parochial blindness world, but we need to actively reach out and be part of that cross-disability movement and certainly well beyond disability um, – I know he, for example, and another name I'll drop and then I'll stop, uh, Justin Dart, uh, you know, sort of an iconic figure uh, uh, in the cross-disability arena. I mean, you know, it takes a lot for someone to, uh, in Derwood's case, and for on behalf of ACB to reach out and build those kinds of, you know, gee, it isn't just that we'll sign on to letters that you happen to do, but we're going to actively, you know, be rubbing shoulder to shoulder or whatever with you on specific things. And I think... Over the course of time, ACB has done that. I'm thinking right now of the, in the transportation area. This is not so much about uh, ethnic or other diversity, but certainly in terms of diversity of um, income and diversity of uh, uh, what uh, mobility. And that ACB has developed a lot of partnerships that I think are, are pr- uh, proving pretty fruitful. Uh, with pedestrian uh, organizations, right? So it's not just blindness or disability related stuff, but you know the, the, the bicyclists and the and the walkers and the whoever else out there. And so it's that kind of stuff. When when you go out of your way to say yes, we're going to build those specific connections, I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, if, if we've started to do that in ACB, let's do a lot more of it when it comes to exactly um, what you were mentioning, which is. Let's really go out of our way to, because I think there's some a lot of interesting opportunities. Um, and and again, there are people on this call who will forget more than I'll know about it. I'd be really curious to know um, how much the vending community itself has reached out um, to a number of those groups or other small business uh, uh, related uh, trade associations, etc. I think I think to extent we've done it, great. Uh, maybe we need to do more of that. Okay. Uh, Gene has their hand up, and I'm going to hit the S on mute button. And then after you answer that question, I will probably give the closing code. Okay. okay. Um, but Gene has some problems doing the mute button. Bummer. So, um, I'll tell you what. There's another hand, so... Okay. This is Saja. So we'll do that one and then I'll give the closing code. Okay. No, I guess. 
and um, no, it doesn't look like you have anybody else. All right. Well, all right. But thank you all oh, so boy, much. No. I appreciate it. Oh. One more. One more snuck in. Nope. That's it. <laughs> Psych. All right. Very good. Well, thank you all so so much. And uh, again, uh, it's a, an honor to be asked to to join um, this group. So thank thank you all so very very much. Thanks. Thank you so much, Mark, for all your yes, sir. expertise here, willing to share your piece with us. Yeah. This is fantastic. Thanks so much. We will yeah. be in touch. I can okay. You. Thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Take good care now. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Okay. Uh, and. Did you, did anybody else have anything they wanted to say before I give the closing code? Sure, I will. I just want to thank everybody who has joined us and uh, the first section of the RSVA presentation. And I'm hoping everybody stays tuned and listens to the next section, which I'm sure will be even more exciting. Okay. So uh, your closing code. And again, this is only for people who have a credential for which they need continuing education. Your closing code is six zero three nine one. One more time. Six zero three nine one. Uh, thank you very much, and we'll see uh, those of you who are sticking around for the next session in a few minutes. <laughs>